Good morning. It is good to be here. 2022. Does it make you feel any different? It's kind of like a birthday. You know, birthday rolls around. It's like you turn one, one year older. And when you're younger, it's, it's a pretty big thing. When you get older, it's the same. Not much changed. But I don't know. When, the, when, this, when a year, new year roll around, roll around for me, it gives me an idea of something new, something fresh. Almost like a new day. And I think we can look at that like that. I could have let, let Drew just keep on going, expounding on the wonders of heaven. We truly have a big God. And when, when you hear those things, and then Drew was going over all the requests, there's a lot of needs to bring to God. Does he care about that? He does. And sometimes I minimize the power of prayer. I don't just want to put a challenge out there. Let's be men and women of prayer. As we heard those requests this morning, let's bring them to our God, the same God who controls the universe. Praise God. I am blessed to be here this morning. Well, before we jump into the message, children, a couple weeks ago, one of my last messages, we had a story time, right? I would like to have another story again this morning. So children, come on front. If you remember, find a seat in the center aisle. So come on front, children. And even if you're a child at heart, you're welcome. Yep, find a seat right here in the center. We're going to sit on the floor. Yep, something a little different, a little different than children's meeting. We have, th- I have three quick short stories about one man. Okay, he's a man from the Bible. I'm going to show you a picture. First of all, what is in that picture? Do you remember that? Oh, it's Peter and Jesus. And what is Peter doing in the water? Sinking. Why was he in the water? You got it. So we all know this story, the story of Peter walking on the water. Now the disciples were all in a ship. Can you see the ship in the background? A little boat. They were all out there, and all of a sudden they see a man walking across the water, on top of the water, not swimming, on top. And the disciples were a little afraid at first. Who was this man? And then they realized it was Jesus. Yes. And Peter was in the, the boat, and he says, hey, Jesus, you're walking on water. Can I too? And Jesus says, sure, come out to me. So Peter steps out of the boat, and does he walk on water? Yeah, he does, for a little bit. And then he starts sinking. Why did he sink? Because he looked away. He looked away from Jesus. He got a little scared, and he started sinking. And then he reached out his hand, and as the picture illustrates, Jesus helped him up. Okay, so that's the first story. Second story. Jesus and his disciples had the Last Supper. Remember hearing about that? After the Last Supper, they went into the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay? And there they were. Jesus was praying because he knew he was about to die. And all of a sudden, through the garden, the soldiers come. And now Peter, again, is at Jesus' side. As the soldiers come up to Jesus, did Jesus fight back? No. He said, here I am. What does Peter do? Anybody know what Peter does? Spencer? 
He pulls out his sword and he tries to kill one of the soldiers because he's trying to protect Jesus. He misses and he cuts off the guy's ear. Jesus reaches down and puts the ear back on. And what does he say to Peter? He says, Peter, stop it. Get behind me. We don't fight with swords. Peter was like, I was just trying to protect you. Second story. Third story. Jesus died. But then he rose again. Back in the time, they had a tomb that they cut out in stone. Okay? A little different than we bury people today. And they would put the body into the cave, and they would shut it with a big stone. Well, we know Jesus arose. He didn't stay there, right? And Mary went to the tomb one day to put some things there for Jesus. And he wasn't there. And as she turned around, Jesus appeared to her. Amazing. And he, he starts talking with her and talks. He says, all right, you go tell the disciples that I came back to life. Do you think Mary was excited? I think she was. I think she turned around and she ran. She ran back to the disciples and she said, guess what? He's alive again. Who was the first disciple to jump up? I think it was Peter. Peter jumped up and he says, I'm going to see for myself. And he takes off running. Do you ever race somebody? Yeah, yeah. Do you like to see who's fastest? Yeah. Well, the next disciple comes and he passes Peter. Peter must have been slow, okay? He gets to the tomb first. That disciple stops. He's a little cautious. Peter comes huffing up. And what does he do? He goes running right into the tomb without stopping. Oh, Peter. And he comes running back out. It's true. Three stories about Peter. What is one word we could use to describe Peter? There's probably several. What do you think? Give me some. Peter? How did he act? Was he scared? Through the, in those three stories, was he scared? No? no. Was he brave? He was bold. A word I want you to remember about Peter, he was bold. Sometimes I tell Keturah, people think they're big stuff. Peter thought he was something big. and He was bold. He was ready to stand up for Jesus. Okay? That's the Peter that wrote the passage that we're going to look at today. So remember those stories about Peter, and remember that he is what? Bold. Okay? Peter is, say it, bold. All right, you can go back to your seats. This morning, I would like to look at the book of 1 Peter. Now, several people commented to me recently that I should go through a book of the Bible. I tend to be more of a topical guy. I like to look at specific topics. And I wanted to take a book of the Bible and kind of work through it. I guess Leon's been kind of a model for me. And to really look at it, what it means, and kind of get an overview and I was drawn to 1 Peter by the recommendation of, of some people. 
Now, 1 Peter, what comes to your mind when you think of 1 Peter? Now, we just had some stories about Peter, the author of 1 Peter. Where does 1 Peter fit in? In the New Testament. It fits in in the epistles. And specifically, the general epistles we see there. Now, if you remember back almost a year ago, we looked at an overview of the Bible. And it fits in at the general epistles, which was letters to the churches after Jesus' resurrection and ascension back into heaven. This was redemption revealed. Redemption, as we, if you remember from the overview of the Bible, in the Old Testament, it was prepared. It came in the Gospels. And then it was explained in the epistles. Because the new church had to figure out this new lifestyle, this new way of living. Therefore, 1 Peter fits into that uh, category. Now, 1 Peter... As we look at it, as I read through it, I read through it multiple times, and I found a, a theme that I would like to kind of draw out as we look at different passages, different verses, chapters in First Peter. And that is a lively hope. And in First Peter, right away in the third verse, it says, He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. And through First Peter, I see this hope. That he is pointing us to. And the first part of 1 Peter is more introduction, giving a foundation for the Christian life, and pointing the Christian life to practical things, which comes later on in, in 1 Peter. So, to give you a little idea of what I'm planning, here are some topics that I'm hoping to look at in 1 Peter in the coming months. So, first of all, we have an introduction, we have a lively life, living stones, an honorable life, a loving life, heaping coals of fire, living for God, Christian suffering, exhortations for life, and finally a conclusion and recap. So, as we're diving to 1 Peter, this is what we can expect, and hopefully it gives me some direction on where we we end up so as we see a theme a lively hope in first peter and as we go through this i invite you to join me uh, in reading the passage beforehand if you want to know the week that i'm going to be preaching one of these messages let me know i'll drop you a text or an email and i would love if we could some of us could read ahead and be ready to look at this uh, come Sunday. Another goal I have is to memorize it. So if you have a goal of memorizing scripture, you can join me in the process as well of memorizing First Peter. And I think actually quiz team uh, that they're doing in, in the schools is memorizing First Peter this year. So that is one of my uh, goals as I go through First Peter. So join me in the process, or if you want to at least keep me accountable and make sure I stay on track, you're welcome as well. This morning, I would like to look at 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. Before we uh, jump into it, I would like to recite to you the 
first 12 verses, and I'd like to do something a little different this morning. If you already opened your Bibles to 1 Peter, you're a step ahead of me. I want you to close them. You can put your thumb in there because we're going to come back to it. And as I recite these verses to you, often what the authors would do is they would write the letter and send it via a courier or a messenger. And sometimes they would read it publicly in the, in the churches. And so I wanted to give us a little taste for that here this morning. So listen as we look at 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, which hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, which shall be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a time, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation, that the trial of your faith, that the trial of your faith, though it be more, much more precious than gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, which did testify beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are reported unto you by them which preach the gospel by the Holy Spirit from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And that is 1 Peter 1, 1 to 12. Open up your Bibles with me now as we dive in to take a look at 1 Peter 1, this introduction to Peter. What do we see here? Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who's the author? Peter, the same guy that we talked about with the children. The bold guy. And as we look at these sections, 
this section of verses, we see the author in the first part. We see the work of the Trinity in verse 2. And please follow along with me as we go through this. And then we see some opening thoughts. Blessed be God, rejoice, and salvation prophesied. Peter is setting the stage for some practical points that he is going to lay out for them later on. First of all, Peter is an apostle. And we talked about this in Galatians a little bit with Paul. He also said, I am an apostle. What is an apostle? Did you talk about that in your Sunday school lesson this morning? A follower, an ambassador, a disciple. Not somebody in charge, but somebody underneath somebody else. And Peter right away wanted to let the people let it be known that he was a follower, a disciple. To whom is the letter written? It is written to the strangers scattered throughout those countries. Anybody recognize the name of those countries? And if I pull it up on a map, it is current day Turkey is where these countries come from. And as you can see, we have Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those five countries is where the Peter was writing to. And they were scattered around. Now down to the southeast of these countries is Jerusalem, their mother church. And all these Christians have been spread out, and thus he talks to them as strangers. And I think it's symbolic of Christians. We are strangers and pilgrims. To the strangers scattered throughout and another interesting fact, this comes about the time when Nero was blaming the Christians for the burning of Rome, the big fire that went through Rome in about A.D. 65, and he was blaming the Christians for that. So they were in a tough time period in life. And then now look at me, or look with me, to verse 2, and we see here a word that says elect. How many like to be elected? And well, what are we elected to? Chosen by somebody makes us feel special. Elect. And that is what Peter says. I am elect. And I see here the work of the Trinity. Look with me at verse, at verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We see here the God, the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Now, foreknowledge, this is a, a, a word that is sometimes debated. Ever hear of predestination? In other words, were you already chosen? Did God already choose you? He did. Now, there are some uh, beliefs that before time, before eternity, God looked through eternity and he chose everybody that he wanted to be a Christian or a child of his. That then takes away the idea that it is man's choice, right? But notice this word, foreknowledge. He knew before. He didn't foredetermine. He didn't stand back there and pick the ones he wanted to be his sons. But he looked ahead into eternity and he saw all mankind and he knew who was going to choose him. Therefore, he foreknew, he elected us, he chose those who would choose him. 
And that's what's beautiful about it. God the Father. Then we have the Spirit, the work of sanctification. When you are saved, He sanctifies us. The work of the Spirit in us. And then Jesus, through obedience, He calls us to obedience and the sprinkling of blood. Now back in the Old Testament, Moses would often sprinkle blood over the people when they heard God's word. Ah, symbolic of Jesus' death and his blood covering us. Obedience and sprinkling of blood through Jesus. And I think it's beautiful how he just interwines this beautiful truth of the Trinity right here in his opening. The Father, the Spirit, and the Son. And then he says, grace unto you and peace, a common greeting that he sent to them. And now, before he dives into the practical stuff, we see here an introduction to the book. And up on the screen, I'm going to throw verses 3 to 12. How many words are there? How many sentences are there? Often in scripture, you look at it and... So, wow, that's a lot of content. How does this all work together? We're going to take a step back, and for you people who love grammar, how many enjoyed grammar and diagramming in school? Yeah, I don't see too many hands. I, I can't say I was thrilled with it, but it has taught me so much in analyzing and understanding Scripture. And actually, students will ask me, and there's some teachers among us, you know the question, when am I ever going to use this? And I, my, one of my responses to the diagramming aspect is, I actually use diagramming when I'm looking at scripture. Not always, but it helps me understand all the phrases that support the main idea. So if we look at those, those verses, I think there's about four or five sentences. I'm going to take the first section, verses three to five. It's all one sentence. And if you struggle to know what is a sentence, look for the period. <laughs> Exclamation point. That ends a sentence. All right? So we have here, Three, four, and five, all one sentence. What is the subject and verb? Often the subject and verb, the main point, comes at the beginning. Blessed be God the Father. Everything else are phrases supporting that. Ah, oh, the sentence actually is simple after all. Blessed be God. It's that simple. So all the other texts support the phrase. And... I didn't know if I wanted to put this up here, but here's a quick diagram of what I think. Now, if there's any grammar teachers here, please give me a little grace. But up at the top, we have God and the Father, be blessed. That's our main sentence. And we have all the other infinitives and gerunds and prepositional phrases supporting that main point. Okay? So if you ever want to understand something, you don't need to be this complex. But you can kind of look at it and see it supporting the main thoughts of the sentence. So here we have the first sentence. Blessed be God. He comes out of saying his introduction and he goes into blessed be God. And follow along with me in verse 3. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, what? To a lively hope. Why is God being blessed? He's begotten us. What does begotten mean? Give birth. Again? A second time. Speaking of the physical birth, and then comes the spiritual birth. 
He's begotten us again to what? A lively hope. Not a dead hope. A lively hope. Why is he able to do that to a lively hope? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Ah, this is making sense. This is why we're blessing God. What else has he begotten us to? Verse 4. He's begotten us to an inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled. When we think of an inheritance, our ears, eyes might perk up. Ooh, what's the inheritance? What am I getting? This is something that is not going to fade away. It's not going to be lost in any bank or material possessions. It is something that is there. We can have an inheritance incorruptible. But we got to stay faithful. And we are only kept by what? Kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation. Brothers and sisters, this inheritance is gained simply by faith. In our Sunday school class, we talked a little bit about other religions and their works. It's all about works to prove that they're saved. It's faith. And that is by the power of God working in us that we can then have that inheritance at the culmination. So there we see sentence number one. Blessed be God. Sentence number two. Look at six, seven, eight, and nine. All one verse. Looking at it quickly, what do you think the subject is? Subject verb. Rejoice. Wherein, okay, verse, uh, verse six. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. Ye rejoice, subject verb. And again, we have all the other things, our phrases and clauses supporting that. So coming out of that realization that we have a lively hope, we rejoice. Do you rejoice? Do we rejoice? And why are we rejoicing? He then moves on to quickly recognize that trials do come. And this, this sentence hit me this week. Trials come. And going back to that inheritance, what does it say? Through faith. We got to continue to have faith. By faith we're saved at the beginning. But it's a continual process of yes. Somebody in our, also in our Sunday school class says we got to step back and let Jesus do the work in us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get discouraged. Or Do you ever want to throw in the towel? Is this worth it? And this, this hit me this week. Trials are going to come. We recognize that. But through it, we can rejoice. Why? Because in verse 7, it's going to be much more precious than that of gold that perisheth. It's going to be tried with fire. But through it all, may you be found into praise, honor, and glory. Is that a testimony of your life? We can see those who face hard times. We see their faith. And we say, well, how can they do that? It's because of God. They're rejoicing no matter their trials. They're realizing that their trials are going to be much more precious than gold. Beautiful. And then, it's by faith in whom we have not seen. Verse 8. Have you ever seen Jesus? How do you know he's there? Well, maybe I have a question for you. Do you have a brain? How do you know it's there? 
We may question some people sometimes. But how do you know your brain's there? I can't see it. There's evidence of a brain, right? This points to, we don't see Jesus, but there is evidence of him. Whom we have not seen, yet we love. Amazing. uh, Though we have not seen, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because we see his working in our life. And if we stay faithful, if we keep that faith in him, even when we don't see him, what happens in verse 9? We are going to receive the end. We're going to receive the end of our faith, even the salvation of our souls. We're saved, but the culmination will be at the end of our life for when Jesus returns. That's when we'll fully understand it all. So don't give up now. Don't throw in the towel now. You're giving it all up. I needed that this week. That's the second sentence. You ready for the third one? Verse 10. 10 and 11 go together. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify, when it testified beforehand the suffering of Christ and the glory that should follow. What's the sentence, or what's the subject and verb here? If we look at verse 10, of which salvation the prophets are requiring, inquired and searched. Of what? Of the salvation. Peter stops here and says, all right, so we're talking about salvation. We're blessing God. We know that our tri- trials come. But this is not something that was just made up recently. This was something that's been prophesied back to the Old Testament. The prophets, they searched for it. They didn't fully understand it. That's what verse 10 says. They searched diligently. But yet they prophesied of the grace which is to come. They searched diligently. What manner, what time, when is this spirit going to come? It's in jumping down to verse 12 now. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us they did minister. The prophets searched for this Messiah, this salvation. It was revealed to them. Do you ever wish you could go back to the Old Testament and have God or one of the angels speak directly to you? Sometimes I look back, oh, that would be tremendous. That's what the prophets had. But they didn't even fully grasp what was being told of them. The reason was, what does it say in verse 12? For us. Not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister these things. The reason God revealed that to them was for our sake. So we can look back and say, this was prophesied. This salvation, the coming of the Messiah was prophesied. It's for real. And they reported unto you. And the last one. Go to the end of verse 12. They're preaching this because of the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. Which things the angels desire to look into. I had to stop and take a look at this. The angels don't even fully understand the full plan of salvation. That's only God. So the angels are up in heaven seeing this work wrought out in you, and they're saying, wow, 
What is that? I'm doing all these works for my master, Jesus, but I don't even understand it, but I see it work being worked out. This salvation that we're talking about, Peter's explaining why we're blessing God. Even the angels wonder at this. Salvation prophesied. And now a quickly a recap of what we looked at. We had an introduction, the author, and then what I want us to take away is three, these three simple points, the three subjects and verbs of this section. Blessed be God. Bless him because he saves us to what? Our theme, a lively hope. And because of that, we rejoice. Though trials come, we still rejoice. And this thing that we rejoice in has been prophesied. It's been proven. It's for real. A lively hope. So as we wrap up this introduction of 1 Peter, let's remember our lively hope that we have. And this then is a foundation for Peter to jump into some practical points which we're hopefully going to look into about living. What does this mean for us? Okay, so yeah, we understand. Blessed be God. We're rejoicing. Salvation's been prophesied. Number one, be saved. If you don't have the assurance of salvation, none of this, a lively hope you cannot have. Be saved. Secondly, rejoice. If you are saved, don't be discouraged about it. Rejoice, though trials come. If you can rejoice, that will, through faith, point you to salvation. Be saved. Rejoice. And are you questioning why I have the picture of Peter and Jesus on the water? The reason for my stories with the children. We saw what Peter was, right? He was bold. He thought he was big stuff. He turned away from Jesus and he, he lost it. How does he start off this letter? He doesn't say anything about, I was one of the closest to Jesus. He doesn't say anything about, I was the rock. He doesn't say anything how he was one of the leaders of the early church or how he preached at Pentecost. He says, I'm an apostle. Something changed in Peter from those stories. And that's what can happen in us. A lively hope. So when we think of a lively hope, think of Peter. His rash and boldness, ready to be right there beside Jesus. But the salvation changed him. The hope and he now says, I'm an apostle. I'm here. That's when we can be used. I want us to know of our lively hope, so we rejoice and respond to that. And I'm going to refer back to the change of the year, 2022. Do you have your uh, goals, resolutions set down for this year? It's interesting to see, hear opinions. And uh, some people are very goal-oriented. Some, some people... Uh, turn away. Nah, I don't need to create any goals. I can make the willpower myself, and that's, that's right. But I think it is valuable in the Christian life to take these changes in life, whether it's a birthday or this new year rolling around, and look back and say, how did I let this lively hope affect me, my Christian life, material things as well? 
I find it valuable time to sit down with my wife and talk about anything from finances to family life to spiritual things. I think it's important that we take these changes in life to evaluate the past and look ahead with intentional ideas for the future. So as we start off 2022, let's think about a lively hope. Let's look back at this past year and say, how did I let this lively hope affect me? And look ahead and say, how am I going to pass on this lively hope to others and me? Let's go into 2022 knowing that we have a lively hope and rejoice. Let's all stand. I'm going to pray, and Demetrius, if you'd I just have a chorus of song, and then you can consider yourself dismissed. I won't be hanging around the back for too long. I've got a little drive to do before my lunch plans, so have a good week. God bless you. Live with hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and it's full of truth. And as we looked at Peter, we looked at those stories of how Peter was bold, and to see that change in him because of the salvation, the lively hope that you gave him. We want that in ourselves, dear God. I pray that we could allow the lively hope to flow through us, to change us. And we could come away with rejoicing no matter what we face and pass on that lively hope to others. And as this new year starts off, may we look to you for guidance on ways to be intentional with living out our faith. Take us as we go from here. May we be servants for you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.